As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined not by my usual friend and colleague, Paul Tenorio, but by a unusual friend and colleague, Felipe Cardenas. Felipe, thank you so much for joining. Uh, Paul is out on paternity leave, so Felipe is going to be helping me out tonight, probably some episodes in the future. I'm going to be rotating through some other athletic colleagues and some other folks as well on allocation disorder while Paul is out tending to his family, uh, deservedly so. But Felipe, thanks for joining, man. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I'm happy to fill in for Paul, giving him his his space. He's got to take care of the kids, man. He can't. Yeah. He needs a separate. He needs that work life balance. You know. I know. He needs to check out. Do. So I'm happy to to step in for well, Tenorio. Well, we are happy to have you. You always get rave reviews every time that you come on. So, um, you know, that's that's why you're here now. You know, so <laughs> no pressure or anything. Okay. Um, but we have a lot to talk about on this show. The MLS playoffs are going on. We haven't had a show. We haven't had an allocation disorder. In a while, Felipe, this is like, I think it was just two shows ago that you were on, and that feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah, after the Mexico game, because we did one then, and then we did Ah. one after Jamaica, and that was our most recent show, was after the Jamaica USMNT game. Um, Then it was Thanksgiving, and here we are now. Um, So yeah, uh, we have a lot to talk about. MLS playoffs have been ongoing. We are now into the final four conference finals. This weekend, Portland hosting Real Salt Lake. Yes, Real Salt Lake. Who would have guessed it? Uh, In the Western Conference Final out in Oregon on Saturday. And then on Sunday, Philadelphia Union hosting NYCFC. Both one seeds. The all-time MLS regular season points record holder, New England Revolution. They lost to NYCFC in their first game uh, of the postseason, which took place after a 23-day layoff. They lost on Tuesday night. One or not one, nothing. It was two to two after extra time, and then they lost in penalty kicks in Colorado. Lost on Thanksgiving to Portland, one zero. That one was one zero. So both number one seeds go down. We've had a lot of upsets. We've had a lot of drama. We haven't had the best kind of play. We'll talk about that in a second. So we'll talk playoffs. We'll talk MLS coaching carousel, Ferris wheel, whatever your preferred carnival ride of choice is. We'll talk about that. And then Felipe was just down earlier this week in Mexico. Uh, he was at the Azteca for the FMF's rebrand on what night was that? Tuesday? That was uh, Tuesday night. Yes. Yeah. So he, yeah. Well, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And Felipe is going to provide some details and some color and explain why Mexico is rebranding and why they're doing it now. Because I, I don't know. I'm excited to interest. I'm excited and interested to, to learn about that. So that that's what we got for you tonight. We'll start with the playoffs. I already gave kind of the rundown of who is left. It's been a surprising field. It was a surprising field to begin with, and it's played out in a surprising fashion. Most of the top spenders didn't make their way in. Um, the ones that did, like Atlanta, a team that Felipe, of course, is very familiar with, lost at the first go-around, in their case, to NYCFC. Um, so, Felipe, just kind of broadly speaking, what have you made of the playoffs so far? Have they lived up to expectations? Do you feel like – how do you feel like they've compared to past postseasons? Does it feel weird that we have teams like – that we do in the Final Four? What are your general thoughts? I think it's lived up to what 2021 has been as as like the hangover year after 
the pandemic season. Uh, the, the, the soccer hasn't been great this year. I think a lot of MLS in general, even the rewards that the award season that we're still sort of finding out who's winning defender of the year was announced today. Walker Zimmerman went, won that for the second consecutive season, but overall it just seems underwhelming. You know, like the, 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 the soccer hasn't been great that the big teams aren't in. Um, and, and yes, it's great for RSL. It's great for Real Salt Lake, uh, to, to be in this position, to be a story. You know, uh, I think that's cool for for that franchise, but is I don't think it's great for the league as 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 an advertisement to what Major League Soccer is trying to promote as far as what the product on the field is. And you mentioned Atlanta, a team that spends so much money, uh, you know, barely getting into the playoffs. I mean, shoot, know. dude, they did a lot better than a lot of their rich counterparts who didn't but, even make but, it. But let's put it under the microscope. I mean, they something that Atlanta is touting. And it's fine, you know, like they, they have finished, um, they had the most points of, of any, I think, any MLS team uh, in the last half of the season. But they didn't beat any playoff teams, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, um, and, and they struggled with consistency. Uh, obviously, Joseph Martinez was not healthy. And, you know, speaking of Joseph Martinez, I think you know, he was one of those stars this year that just, couldn't he didn't show up he, he wasn't healthy enough Carlos Vela as well wasn't healthy when you look at the top scorer the golden boot winner Tati Castellanos uh, you know a very good player uh you know but 18 goals yeah. we're coming off two years of like 30 plus goals was the golden boot yeah and so that that pre-pandemic me, anyway yeah. yeah pre-pandemic so so we're seeing like I think the uh, the drought there has a lot to do I think with fatigue and just like the hangover from 2020 uh, but yeah, Atlanta, a team that, that should be doing better. A lot of teams should be doing better. Let's say we could spend a whole yeah. show talking I mean, about the Toronto, Galaxy. Miami, Galaxy, LAFC, Cincinnati, Chicago. These are all very high spending teams that didn't even qualify. And in some cases finished at the very bottom of MLS. So it's not like Atlanta is the worst team in the world, but I think you made an interesting point about RSL and how them advancing this far isn't quote unquote good for the league. Um, I don't, know if I agree with that entirely just because the narrative around Real Salt Lake is fantastic. Like the, our, our colleague Chris Camerani wrote a story on this on The Athletic Today that I would encourage people to check out. But just the timeline of everything that's happened with that club over the last couple of years from Mike Pecky and a cat running on the field and him being fired for chasing down a referee and shouting homophobic slurs to Deloy Hansen's history of racist and sexist behavior to Freddie Juarez bouncing in the middle of the year to be an assistant coach for Seattle to the dramatic, dramatic run we've seen here over the last few weeks. It's wild. It's incredible. It's really cool in a lot of ways for this team in particular. Obviously, there's a small market element, but it's just like, what does it really say about your league when, when a team that hasn't been, you know, hasn't been great, it's been pretty average most of the season, right, is now in your final four. And you can't really, well, I mean, I guess the Seattle game in which they didn't attempt a single shot, but advanced in a shootout, right? Maybe they're, I mean, I, I can't say the Sounders deserve to win that game because they weren't great, right? It's not like they, they've been scraping by on the skin in their teeth in the postseason necessarily. They outplayed Sporting Kansas City in the they second did. round they and, and they fully deserved to go through and win that game like they did. Um, it's just like, what does it say about the league when, when a team like that with so much turmoil with a roster that most consider middle of the pack at best, right? comes through and is in your final four just because of a few hot weeks. And I, I don't know. I'm having a hard time squaring all of this in my head. I feel like I'm going to be rambling a little bit here, but it leads me to some bigger questions, not just RSL, but the fact that all of these teams that spend a ton of money miss the playoffs. The fact that you have, you know, a Philadelphia team that is one of the cheapest in the league and, and does really cool things with their academy and, and is a success in that way. But they're in the final four and they've played terrible soccer. They've played like anti-soccer in the playoffs. Jim Curtin, the head coach, who we'll talk about more later, he said himself after they, they beat the Red Bulls in the first round that they probably set the sport of soccer back by 10 years with the style of how they played that game. It's been awful to watch. And, and here they are hosting a conference final, right? With a very good chance to make it to MLS Cup. And all of these things, I'm not trying to take away from, from teams like Philly or RSL because credit to them and they've done a nice job. But all of these things are kind of making me think, what what is MLS doing? And is this still working out in the way that it needs to be? Competitive balance is cool 
and it's good and I like it. I think parity, well, I'll, parody is the is the buzzword, but competitive balance is probably the more accurate way to put it. I enjoy it, but I think it's probably too far. There's probably a little bit too much balance right now. And I think when you look at the money that MLS teams are putting into their rosters, right? In some cases, you have teams spending 20 million plus on wages, million tens of millions more on transfers in, in a few cases. Uh, they're not getting good return on that investment when it comes to quality of play. And some of that in 2021, let's just keep it to this year. Some of that is just because, all right, those high spending teams didn't do a good job, right? Cincinnati didn't do a good job. Toronto didn't do a good job. Um, Chicago didn't do a good job, right? Maybe they're overpaying. Maybe they're scouting the wrong players. Maybe they hired a bad coach, whatever. Um, But some of it, I think, is just due to the very nature of how the league's designed, Right, Felipe, I need to go and actually dig into these numbers, but you know, you have teams that spend upwards of 60-70% of their wage bill on their top 5 players. Right? And that's just I mean, it's just like it's just not going to work that well. Like yeah. if but but you have to do it that way because that's how DPs work and that's how TAM works, right? And and you can only play a certain amount of guys a, a high salary. And, but if you could take that money and spend 70% of 20 million on the top 11 guys, right? Well, that top 11 is going to be a lot better than it would be if you just spend it on the top five. And so owners are spending some money, but I don't think they're getting the full value that they could out of it. And I think MLS needs to look in the mirror and ask itself that question here. I was going to say, I, I was going to say that like, yes, the league has to look at themselves in the mirror and, and, and consider, ask the serious questions like, is this working? And at the same time, and perhaps it's because of the roster mechanisms that are in place, but I think you have to look at the individuals that are building these rosters. Are they doing, are they making the right decisions? Are they putting yeah. the money where they should be putting the money? You know, I look at a lot of teams that have these high spending uh, uh, rosters and, and, and the, you know, the starting 11 is okay. And then the bench, there's like no solutions on the bench. I mean, I mean, look, like, at, no look at the NYCFC at New England game the other night. They, like neither team made basically any subs until extra time. Imagine right? being the coach. You look at the bench and you're like, what am I going to do with this? And, and, I and to be fair, so. Bruce Arena should have made some subs beforehand. Um, and to be fair, NYCFC had uh, some very expensive transfers sitting on the bench in Talas Magno and Tiago Andrade, who came in and made an impact, by the way. Um, so it's not like... NYC was bereft or Bruce was no they you know NYCFC but, has a decent bench they yeah. do have a decent bench if yeah. they want to if they're down this is what I saw when they came to Atlanta when they were losing that game they had solutions on the bench they can bring on a bunch but of they're attackers. they're one of the few they're one of the few correct correct and, and like remember teams can make five subs five yeah. okay yeah. and like there were teams that aren't making subs Atlanta when they went to NYCFC losing the game two nil Pineda made two subs. Phil- Philadelphia this weekend, right? They're bringing Sergio Santos off the bench, and that's about it. And yeah. he had a tough go against Nashville. And, and so it's just, I, I don't know. MLS talks about wanting to be one of the top leagues in the world. I'm not sure if they really mean that in terms of level of play. Um, but they do talk about wanting to catch up with Mexico. And I'm pretty sure that they do mean that genuinely. But I think until they switch the structure and maybe eliminate the DP rule, or maybe do something where it's, okay, get rid of these buckets of spending, TAM, DPs, GAM, what have you, and just say, here's a spending floor, and here's a spending ceiling. And maybe you work in acquisition costs into that. Maybe you have those separate whatever. Um, that's a different show. But I think if you do it like that and allow teams to kind of, you know, it's not so much. Right now, it's like a coloring book. And you got to color it between in between the lines, right? And you can get a little creative with which colors you pick and whatnot, right? But you got to stay in the lines. And if you do a floor and a ceiling and get rid of the buckets, it's more of just a blank canvas. There are no lines, and you can do what you want. Um, parity, I think competitive balance would still exist. But I think you get more efficient outcomes, and you'd be able to compete with Mexico, where some of these teams aren't spending dramatically more than the top in teams Mexico. in MLS. In Mexico? Yeah, yeah like Amer- know, look- America or Tigres, they're spending a lot more, right? Well, of course, of course. But but a team like Leon, right? They're not spending dramatically more than LAFC or Atlanta. 
right? A team like Santos Laguna. Same thing. No, they're not spending sure. that much more money. Maybe they're spending less, but they consistently beat these MLS teams year after year after year after year. Why is that? Well, they don't have to spend all their money on three to five players. They can spread and, it out. And Sam, a team, for instance, like a team like Santos, their academy is so legit. They have four That's another part players of sure. right now in in that in the national team camp right now. Four players. There are four players from Club America right now in Mexico team camp, and that's fine. That you ex- expect a big club like Club America to have players. But Santos Laguna, who consistently play the kids, and now they have they've they had like three guys on the field in the bronze medal game uh, in the Olympics. They have four players yeah, right but, now. But at, I mean, Felipe, at, at, MLS at has teams team like camp. that too. Dallas has that. You know? Do, Do you, they like, really? Yeah. Like the last national team camp? You had Ricardo Pepe. I guess I'm thinking more of Dallas graduates, right? A lot of those guys yeah, aren't with yeah. Dallas anymore. But Philly, well, same thing. Never mind. I take it back. But you have teams that have several academy prospects in with the national team at certain times or in with the U23s at certain times in the U.S. So, yeah, I hear you. And MLS academies aren't as mature as Liga MX right. academies. They have not right. been around as long. So there is a gap there. But, I mean, it's just even if you hit every signing, even if you're the best GM in MLS history and you knock it out of the park on everything, right? Couldn't you, I think your ceiling as the rules are currently constructed is lower than it would be if you just had freedom to operate with the same amount of money, but no restrictions on how you can spend it. I think the ceiling is lower as is than it would be in that scenario. And as a, since we are comparing to league MX, because that's what MLS wants to do, uh, when I was there, I'm not jumping the gun here, but I did speak with League MX president Mikel Ariola again. Um, and you know, one of the things that he said, and, and I was also watching a lot of talk shows while I was at my hotel late at night. Oh yeah, cheering Gita. <laughs> That's Spain, but like I would watch. Them. I've heard that they broadcast, they show it in Mexico. Okay, they not just make. Do. Yeah, I'm just not making. I was that watching. Up. Yeah, I was watching a lot of Fox. They're the ones that have their panel. There was a panel on every night. But the one thing that they were saying. And, and again, so for the listeners that don't know, there's no salary cap in, in, in Mexico and League MX. And one of the topics, the hot topics right now is that a team like Club America that is so well known as being the top club in North America, one of the richest clubs in North America. What's coming out of Mexico right now is like maybe they don't have the same budget they used to have. You know, they're, they're, they're down. They're not, you know, they can win the league in points, which they did. But once they get to the, a playoff situation like they have in, in, in Mexico, they can't compete with the quality of a Tigres, a quality of a Monterrey, the heart of a Leon, uh, and the heart and the depth of Santos. And so even if you want to be free, a free-spending league, you're going to have these ebbs and flows where like, even the top clubs don't have the budgets that they used to, don't bring in the players that they used to. Uh, but one thing that Mikhail Ariola told me um, is when I asked him about, you know, if Don Garber said this is a selling league in 2018, how do you describe your league? And he was like, we're a buying league. <laughs> he was just like straight <laughs> up like, we want to bring in the best players from around the world. And the complaints about, well, if we have too many foreigners, our young players don't come up. His argument is, well, our young players are training with the top, some of the top players around the world that come to League MX. And if they're good enough, they're going to play. So yeah. if MLS wants to get to that place, as you suggest, like they have to make those big decisions. Right now, you look at coaches that feel like, I think they look at their benches and they don't know what to do. Yeah, and I think that's unfortunate. I think some of that is on the individual coaches themselves because you have to sure. give guys always. chances and that, that isn't always something that happens. So it's not, you know, it's not a problem that's just solved if you change the rules. But one thing that I do want to mention here is back to that notion of competitive balance. And it's, oh, well, if, if you change it, there will be less of that. And I don't buy that. First of all, the playoffs. If you're going to have a single elimination playoff tournament, even if you have no salary cap and no budget rules, <laughs> there's going to be some element of parity just because the nature of any given Sunday or whatever, right? Like on a given night, any team can take out any other team. And that's true in any league in the world, right? In MLS, it's very, it's true than more, truer than in most. Um, and the other thing is, is if you're still putting a cap, right? then teams aren't going to be able to race so far ahead. They might be able to pull away a little bit farther than they are now in the current system. But I think that's positive because another thing we don't see a lot of in MLS is teams really innovate and teams really push and teams really try and get creative with their front offices or with how they use data or things like that. So 
let's just say you set a floor and a ceiling on spending and there are no more buckets. Okay. So maybe LAFC or Atlanta or Toronto or Cincinnati, maybe they can in a, <laughs> not Cincinnati in, in, as presently constructed, but maybe down the road sometime they can pull, a, their ceiling gets a little higher, right? When they Jim can pull, is their coach. They, yeah, they can pull a little bit farther ahead of the teams that don't spend, right? Well, sure. Playoffs will preserve some measure of competitive balance, but what is that going to do? It's the teams that don't spend are going to have to become even smarter if they want to compete. And so maybe that leads to some innovation. Maybe that leads to some more creativity. Maybe that leads to them looking for advantages in analytics that they haven't really invested or looked in or built out before, right? Maybe it leads to just kind of like a better kind of soccer laboratory that we can create here in this league. Um, because there's no reason to me that MLS can't be that right now, right? Like the U.S. and Canada have a ton of people, big university systems, a lot of educational opportunities, a lot of smart people who are interested in sports, a lot of smart people who are interested in sports from abroad who would like to live here, right? They can be world-class in those departments right now if they want to. They don't invest in it, but they could. Look at baseball, right? Like baseball has like PhDs running the show and that sort of thing. And some MLS clubs, right, are interested in PhDs. Maybe they don't take the plunge. But building out those departments, that's something MLS could do today if they wanted to. They um, should do more of it, for sure. But, but there's not so much room for creativity, right? Because, okay, if everything's so, if you got a color in between the lines, right? Like, yeah, you can find some advantages still, but there's not as much room to innovate. And I think that's disappointing. Um, so I don't know. There's there's a lot to unpack here. All of it, at the end of the day, comes back to the owners at the bottom end of the scale who have a lot of control and a lot of power. Um, you know, owners like the Hunts in Dallas who chair the product strategy committee with Greg Kerfoot, the owner in Vancouver, right? And like the status quo. <laughs> um, and, and maybe they don't like the status quo in terms of the TV numbers or attendance, but they like the status quo in terms of how much money they have to spend to be reasonably competitive in this league. And, you know, they don't want that to change. So we'll see where it goes. But my hope, my sincere hope, Felipe, is that the league reflects on this and actually starts to think about it a little bit more. Because I think all of these rules serve a purpose, but I think MLS is starting to outgrow them. Yeah, and, and if you look at the reaction, fan reaction from the playoffs, it hasn't been great. You know, people are watching these no. games and they expect a lot more. You know, I woke up one morning and I remember that there was uh, New York and NYCFC were playing recently. What was that? Wednesday night or Tuesday night? And New England like, and oh. New England NYCFC. Or New England NYCFC. Yeah, and I was like, and I couldn't remember at first who got the home game first. I was like, oh wait a minute, this is single elimination. That's kind of cool. Like that, like immediately intrigues me like this is going to be you get one shot yeah there are real stakes attached yeah um but as a fan you you know you want to see good soccer and you're not always going to get that in in single elimination games you're going to get teams like sometimes there it does yeah that there's going to be does and rsl i think is an interesting team because they've figured out how to uh how to win games when you by not playing well and then turning it on and and kind of punking their opponents quickly about RSL. I honestly believe like the teams that are, are literally are afraid of losing to them right now. And that's playing, <laughs> that is playing that plays in their favor. Uh, but the last thing I'll say about parody and we can move on is that I remember when I spoke to Guillermo Almada, who's the, the former Santos coach tonight, he was just announced as the new coach at Pachuca. I spoke to him in May, I believe. And, you know, he went into his philosophy and how a team like Santos that is literally just uses their academy to 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 flourish and and to sort of be it's what drives the the team yeah it's what drives the club like that's the culture the one thing he did say though is like he feels that there's just parity around global football right now global soccer is changing he's like there's not much difference between a real madrid and another team that comes in and wants to play them quality wise and perhaps budget wise yes but in in an actual game between 11 v 11 you're getting a lot more parity around the world. So I think soccer in general has to look at how they come out of this sort of post-pandemic hangover and 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 where is this game where is the sport going? But in MLS, the in the MLS bubble that we live in here in the States, I agree with you. Like you can't just continue to rely on status quo and expect the fans to continue to 
pay season tickets and go to games and support the league. Like you need to yeah. innovate. Yeah, for sure. Well, with that, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about the coaching search. I do want to spend a little bit more time talking about RSL too. So we'll talk a little bit more about stuff going on on the field as well as some of the coaching search things happening right now. Wow, that was tough. Stay with us. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. We we are about to dive in on the topic of the week, the big topic of the week, Felipe. And of course, I am speaking about former Notre Dame head football coach, Brian (laughs) Kelly, now with the LSU Tigers. No, no, I'm kidding. Felipe is from South Bend, Indiana, and uh, I like to give him a hard time about him being a Notre Dame fan. So. I have been distracted. I've been really distracted the last, what, 48 hours? Hey, man, the Athletic's doing a great job covering that story. Yes, P. Sampson, shout out to P. Sampson. He is (laughs) the beat writer for Notre Dame, and he crushes it. Uh, If you don't follow him, please do. Yeah, please please do. uh, The soccer podcast, please follow the Notre Dame football beat writer. Please, huge overlap in those audiences. Uh, Um, Thank you, Pete. We appreciate you. Um, Anyway... (laughs) Getting to getting to the topic that we actually do cover, and that is soccer and Major League Soccer. There's still a good amount of coaching openings around the league. Nico Estevez has now been announced as the FC Dallas head coach. He joins from the USMNT, where he was an assistant. He's been working under Greg Berhalter in Columbus with the U.S., uh, for a number of years now, since 2014. Prior to that, he was with Valencia. We'll talk about that hire. Uh, Luchi Gonzalez, the man who he is sort of replacing, I guess, in Dallas. Sounds like it's gonna he's going to be taking his job. So there's, those two are essentially swapping jobs. Luchi Gonzalez will be an assistant with the U.S. men's national team. And then we still have openings in Cincinnati with LAFC, with Real Salt Lake, sort of, kind of, and with Houston. Um, so four openings still out there. Um, I reported on a few of these in a story earlier this week. The big headline is that Cincinnati is going for Jim Curtin, Philadelphia head coach. Um, there are some connections there. Chris Albright, for those of you who do not know, is the new FC Cincinnati GM. He was hired in October after spending seven years with Philadelphia, where he obviously got to know Jim Curtin quite well. <laughs> um, and he's trying to get him out. Um, Cincinnati from what I've been told, uh, has made at least one offer to the union to try and buy him out of his contract, um, which runs through 2023. Curtin signed an extension only two years, which is, you know, maybe a little bit less than you would have expected. He signed that extension in June. Um, so the union can just say no to any offer that Cincinnati makes. That's what they have done so far. From what I'm told, that's what they are going to continue to do. Um, at least planning, but who knows, maybe they have a price. Um, anyway, it's an interesting story um, and an interesting thing to keep an eye on as Cincinnati's search progresses, but as Philadelphia tries to actually go on and win MLS Cup, too. So I'm curious what you make of this, Felipe, because this isn't something we see really in MLS, a team trying to steal a head coach from another team. But it is something that we see all around the world all the time. All the time, like every league. like we, we, Other sports, we, we, too. We, we college football. Yeah, college football, <laughs> the NFL. 
Uh, and we talk about Liga Next a lot. Like, oh my gosh, like that happens all the time. Like just clubs poaching coaches, poaching players. But I think the curtain, Jim Curtin is such an interesting one. For, for our listeners, you know, Sam and I and Paul and Pablo and all of us, like we share information, but we're not constantly sharing information. When I saw your story, it came up like it came up on my phone, like the notification. I was like, "Wow, really? Cincinnati's going for curtain? Like, wow. yes, like Bombasso? Wow, that was Bombasso stuff. Wow. I think that was kind of a Bombasso. Yes. I mean, and and <laughs> what it, what it does for for me as far as Jim Curtin, this is a guy with with aspirations to go to Europe. He's he's talked about it. Like he's he's a hot coach in MLS, uh, and you know, will he be tempted? by the money you know that that we bring up brian kelly as a joke but like that's basically what it came down to money uh and cincinnati can do that they can pay they can they can flash the the dollar bills and perhaps convince a guy like jim curtain to take on a project where maybe they give him more ownership maybe more decision making power maybe more years yeah more years more stability uh and and so that's going to be interesting for curtain and also for philadelphia if they decide okay We'll let you go. What do they do then? Like, what does a team like Philadelphia do? Like, do they have a plan B already? Maybe not. Well, but... I think they do. And I also think it's Cincinnati's plan B. And its name is Pat Noonan, who is Pat Jim Curtin's right. assistant. And so basically, if Cincinnati can't get Curtin, if Philadelphia holds firm and says no, which I think they're going to do, but I think will come with some sort of raise or extension for Curtin because you can't really say no and then not give him something. Otherwise, he'll probably just wind down his contract and leave in two years. But yeah, Pat Noonan, he has, you know, you know, he has interest in Cincinnati. They also interviewed Luchi Gonzalez. He's obviously off the market, like I just said. They also interviewed Pablo Mastroeni, who is the RSL interim head coach. So we'll get to him in a minute. But I wanted to kind of say one other thing about Curtin in Philadelphia and Cincinnati. Cincinnati has been terrible in MLS. Awful. Worst team in the league three years in a row. It's kind of remarkable. They've spent a ton of money to do that as well. Yeah, three wooden spoons in a row. Uh, It's not good. Uh, Philadelphia has done really well. They won the Shield in 2020. They finished second in the East this year. They're obviously in the conference final. Um, They've done this with a very low budget. Um, And and Curtin won Coach of the Year last season. You know, they're everybody's darling. All that. Yada, yada, yada. But Philadelphia, they're, they're not really ambitious with what they're trying to do. They don't spend. And if I'm looking at that situation and I'm putting myself into Jim Curtin's shoes, I say, yeah, this is my hometown and I'm happy here and my family is here and all of these personal things are tying me to this job. But how far can I take this club? How much farther can I take it than I already have? Right? And how long can I stay here at this level with this team? Right? Like, you might be confident, you might believe in yourself. But if you're realistic, you might say, I can't bet on doing this ever again, right? And with Cincinnati, yes, they're terrible. And yes, it is going to take time to rebuild and get that thing cooking. But if you do, they've shown that they're willing to spend to a level that you can sustain and that you can go challenge League MX teams and that you can be the best club and biggest club in MLS. If you just get it right, they spend at that level, right? And and so if you're Jim Curtin and you're looking at it like that, well, maybe Cincinnati looks a little bit more attractive. That being said, that being said, you mentioned it. He wants to go to Europe. And I think if he wants to go to Europe, it's a much, much better move for his career to stay right where he is than to move to Cincinnati. So. Yeah, I think it, that's probably what he's debating right now is that all the things that you just said about FC Cincinnati – they're they're right there in front of him. That the potential is clear. The stadium is spectacular. Uh, there is a fan base. Okay, it's not like you're trying to build yeah. and educate. The and Philly city, has like, some of these. Philly doesn't have a bad fan base or a bad no, stadium, no, no. but they're not. But, they're not as good. It's not as good. But you said it already. It's like how? What else can he do with Philadelphia? I think he's 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 a game away from an MLS Cup final. You know, I think that's about as far as you can take Philly. I mean, that's as far as you be... can take really anyone, right? Perhaps, <laughs> it, is, perhaps. it is the mountaintop. <laughs> it is. But I mean, like consistently. Is, is yeah. Do you think of the Philadelphia Union as one of the few clubs in MLS that should be, yeah, they're going to be challenging for MLS Cup year in and year out? Now, like, no, they're, they're, no, this feels just like they turned it around. Yeah, yeah This feels like a good run for them, but it feels like it's got a shelf life. It does. And like, look at the roster. Like Alejandro Badoria, great player, has been excellent for them. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of his, of what he brings to a club. 
but he's he's got uh, you know his shelf life is ending as well um and yeah you have the academy there that you they have, they have a great academy they can bring in young players and and all and all that he could he could look at that and say yes i want to continue doing this and, and working with young players and you know the the paxton aronsons and the brendan aronsons like there are good players there that can help that first team but uh he his decision is going to have to be on do do i do I pursue the European route, which is not easy. You have to get interest, first of all. You have to get interest. And then you might have to take your lumps with like a smaller club in Austria or Scotland or wherever uh, and prove that you can coach. And that is so difficult to do for American coaches, the stigma that they carry. Uh, I, I feel like that's a great goal for him, but it feels like a long shot right now. Um, and, and, you know, it, Cincinnati doesn't sound like the sexy pick. Uh, but with Chris Albright being there, you know, maybe that changes for him. Maybe he's like, okay, yeah, like I'll, I know him. And I'll again, he, it might not be up to him. He might never get the choice. Right? <laughs> Philadelphia has said no. He's under contract. You cannot have him. And from what I've been told, again, that's their plan to continue saying that. So he might not even get that opportunity. It's interesting all the same. We mentioned Pablo Mastroeni at RSL. Sources told me everyone sort of expects that he's going to be the full-time head coach out there after this playoff run that they've been on. <laughs> Hard to argue with that. The uh, the vibes, the locker room speeches are incredible. Um, you know, I listened to that guy. I don't know if you saw the post-game speech from Seattle, Felipe, that he gave and that the club put out on Twitter. A lot of, a lot of F and MFers in there. But I, I watched that. I was, I was ready to go. I was like, all right, put my cleats on. Tell me where to be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to slide tackle. I'm going to two foot somebody. Um, so yeah, it sounds like he's going to be the guy, but they of course don't have an owner right now. Really? Um, there are, is an ownership group that's close to buying that team. That includes David Blitzer, Sixers and devils co-owner as long as, as well as crystal palace and other teams. They might want to say in that. So that could sort of delay the process. Either way, I don't expect it to be resolved until after RSL is done which could be this weekend, which could be next weekend, depending on if, whether if or not RSL, If RSL wins MLS Cup, who's who's hoisting the tro- trophy? There's no you know, that's, that's a good question. I actually asked the league this week. Oh, I called yeah. them up, and I was that's like, cause I was like, I, I was trying to do some reporting, you know? And, <laughs> and I was like, hey, random thought, like, what happens if RSL wins Cup? And if we want to wind it back, they traditionally do a trophy presentation for the conference finals as well the league they have trophies for the western eastern conference champions um they didn't give me an answer um they they were checking on it they didn't know the people that i spoke to um so i need to follow up there <laughs> but i would be pretty surprised if uh, if deloy hansen was on stage <laughs> accepting that trophy <laughs> but i bring it up because i think you know it's it's it's, it's traditionally frowned upon for fans don't like to see the billionaire get the trophy. No one wants to. They want to he see didn't win. The, that person didn't no. win the give championship. Give it to the captain. Yes. Give it to the captain or give it to the coach. But give it you to know, the maybe captain. this. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with. I think the captain should should be the first guy to touch that trophy. But this could be interesting. You know, maybe we see maybe the the no the, the vacant owner in RSL starts a new tradition here in MLS. Yeah. When, when maybe the, maybe Davido Choa takes it. Hey. Why you not? spoke to him today. I, did. I mean, this is the RSL goalkeeper with, um, I mean, he's a solid young goalkeeper. He's not perfect. He's still pretty raw. He's prone to mistakes from time to time. Um, he's been good in the playoffs when called upon. He made a huge penalty save in Seattle. But this guy has the best mouth in MLS, bar none. He is a talker. Uh, and he, he likes the shenanigans. So what did you talk to him about today? Any highlights from that interview? Uh, yeah. I mean, the first highlight I would say is, and I tweeted about this is like he, they, you know, he basically said we've beaten the two, you know, two top dogs in the league, the way this locker room is and the way we're motivated, like we're going to go to Portland and we're going to beat them too. And he says it (laughs) without like, he's not even smiling. He's not grinning. He's not forcing it. Very matter of fact. Yeah. I believe like this is who, you know, David Ochoa is me personally. Like I, I agree with you. He's raw. And but I'd like that type of goalkeeper. I like the acrobatic showman goalkeeper, the guy that will fly post to post, the guy that when he gets beat on a golasso, he's still diving like like you're like, holy crap, look at that dive. That was sick. Um, and, and he talked a lot about that, like about being himself and how U.S. goalkeeping methodologies are so scripted and so about technique and so sort of robotic 
And he wanted to bust out of that his whole life. Uh, and, and now he's being able to do that. Like he's being himself. And as far as like being the villain, I asked him, like, is that whole, like the word villain and the concept of being the villain, is that even fair? And he was like, I don't really care. It's fine. Like, that's who I am. I have a chip on my shoulder. And he was like, when I shush Seattle, the crowds, cause they were talking trash to me too. So it's like, you know, he, he's dishing it out and they're giving it to him. I like him as a goalkeeper. And you mentioned Mexico. I was in Mexico for three for three days. And I spoke to Tata Martino and I asked him straight up about David Ochoa and his personality. And Tata really likes him. He was like, in Spanish, he's like, es muy, muy bueno. When he referred to David Ochoa. I, I like a goalkeeper with some personality too. I love it. I, I love mean, it. I'm shocked that you, you know, a big Colombian national team fan. <laughs> Renee Gita, man. I'm I shocked mean, that's, that you like the the goalkeeper. Look, I know, I know, but he, that's a Here great I am shout. Stroking by the way. my hair that you know is a is a homeless man's approximation of. Yeah, but you you're you're a few months from being you know the the American born Igita, and and that's a good shout though. <laughs> Rene Igita, right. known it. for the scorpion kick, yes, but he was a good goalkeeper, and he was vilified for for showmanship, for gamesmanship. You know, he once trapped a ball with his butt uh, in the middle of a game. <laughs> he sat who, on the ball. Who among us so, hasn't? Yeah, right. Uh, you know, he would dribble. He'd try to come out and dribble players and stuff. Jorge Campos, we talked to David Cho about Jorge Campos. And, you know, he was like, he's before my time, but I know all about him. So, and I just think you look around the world and goalkeepers, they're, they're so, like, polished and... Uh, they might as well be wearing suits and ties. Like they're the one player on the field that are just like always so like perfect at what they do and how they talk and what they say. And the top goalkeepers in the world, Manuel Neuer, Courtois, Real Madrid. Ed- Ederson they're, has they're a like, smiley face tattooed on his neck. Maybe I like he's Ederson. Not super like, he's, yeah, he's like a rock star <laughs> goalkeeper as well. That's a good shout. But there are few right now. And so that's why David Ochoa is shining because he is so different. Yeah, he is. So it'll be interesting to see if RSL can carry it on. That, to me, is far and away the story of the MLS playoffs. It, nothing else is even close. Um, Felipe, while we're here, I'm going to put you on the spot, and you can return the favor. Who do you think wins this weekend? What what MLS Cup are we seeing on December 11th? I'm I'm going with Real Salt Lake and, oh my gosh, I'm going to say, I'm going to pick Philly. I don't, I don't know what NYCFC does without Tati. I yeah. know we talked about them having the bench, and they have attacking weapons there yeah but but not a number nine well they have not ever like, they have ever yeah, but he's but, coming off a huge but injury. he hasn't like, yeah he tore his acl yeah. last fall and he hasn't started a game since yeah so. i really like him i like his game yeah he um, scored plenty of goals when healthy in yeah, mls yeah but but you're asking a lot all of a sudden in a conference final to put it on a guy that's that's just coming off a big knee knee injury and surgery so i'm gonna ride the rsl train I, like i said before i think teams are afraid of losing to them and Portland is going to have to come up and, and show that they have solutions as well. Who are they? Likely, missing? They're going to, they're missing likely without Blanco. Blanco. Yeah. Blanco and Espria. Uh, and so there, you know, we talk a lot about Gio Savarese. He's one of the nicest guys. Well, this is where he's going to have to show that he's truly a great coach in MLS because he's going to have to make big personnel decisions. You've got a young kid like Santiago Moreno who plays, you know, scattered minutes. You might have to start him. You know, do you have the, you know, the stones to start a young kid in a, in a conference final? He might not have uh, a choice. <laughs> and he may not have a choice. And so you're, you're going to have to do it and you can't, you know, just yank him after one bad pass. So uh, I'm, I'm sticking with RSL. I think they'll do it. I think they'll get it done. And then I'm going to Jim Curtin to the final. Philly. Okay. Who's going to win the final? Philly. Philly will right. win that one. I think yeah. I have RSL as well. Team of destiny, all that. I have NYCFC advancing past Philly. I think they're just a much Oof. better team, even without Cassianos. Um and I think I I think I have them winning the winning the final at Yankee Stadium <laughs> because because <laughs> gonna, that's going to happen. I know I know a lot of people want that to happen now, and I think we may you know we may actually see our first MLS Cup final in a baseball stadium. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, my God! Yeah, this league USA uh, USA maybe Pep Guardiola will show up for support. <laughs> With that, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about Felipe's trip to Mexico. Maybe we'll sneak in some U.S. national team coverage. They're announcing a roster for December camp, friendly against Bosnia and Herzegovina. By the time you're listening to this, that will have already been out. We're recording Thursday night. But stay with us. We'll talk a little bit about that and a lot about Felipe's trip to Mexico.
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Sam Stasekel and Felipe Cardenas with you. Recording on a Thursday night. You're listening some other time later in the week. Maybe in the next week. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Felipe, you were in Mexico earlier this week. You were down there, FMF. They did a rebrand just for the national teams, right? Not for the actual federation itself, which is a little confusing, but whatever, I guess. Uh, they they unveiled a new logo that's going to be going on the jerseys sometime in 2022 before the World Cup. I think it looks quite nice. Um, but why did they do this? Tell me about your trip. Why why are they doing this now? What do you think of the logo? What did you talk to people about? What did they tell you? Just, just give me the rundown. All right, let's start with the rebrand. And... Uh, yes, th- that is a big caveat that this is only the new crest or badge or whatever you want to call it logo. I, I think it's a badge. It's going on a jersey only applies to the men's and women's national teams, every category, every age group. The actual federation, FMF, is sticking to the current older logo, sure. the one that but is for considered all, iconic. For all intents and purposes, this is the one that we're going to see. We're not yes. seeing federation letterhead. You know, we're no, seeing the jersey, no. you know. Right. And and you, that word that you just mentioned, letterhead, I think that's important because the current, the older badge, it's like, it's so outdated. It's great, but it's so outdated that it's only good on letterhead. Like you can't break it up. You can't put <laughs> it on. You can only great put it on, on letterhead, hat. though. You can put, yes, yes. It probably looks awesome on a press release. Not so great on a t-shirt, maybe. I don't know. But like. When I spoke to John DeLuisa, who's the FMF president, I had a one-on-one with him. Uh, We were there, and before I spoke with him, they had a big event, a big press event at the training facilities for the national teams, which I toured. Uh, And it it was interesting. Where are those? Mexico City? So this is in Mexico City. Outside of – yeah, and it's in a very humble neighborhood. You know, what I saw from Mexico City, I stayed in a very nice part of Mexico City. I loved it. I love going to Mexico. It's great. The people are awesome. Uh, and when I was there and I went to the facility though, like it is sort of in a humble part of, of town and it's, you can see that it's constantly under renovation. They're talking about the renovations that they're, that are going through. The pitches though are immaculate. They have, I think three or four or five full field pitches. They have one hybrid turf and natural grass one that looked like it just came down from heaven. It was so nice. I wanted to <laughs> play on it so badly. I couldn't touch it, though. Uh, and while we were there, the women's national team and the Canadian women's national teams were there training. They were playing uh, friendlies together against each other. So, But when I spoke to John DeLuisa, he had just come off of this big press re- press conference where they were announcing a new sponsor. It's a company, a Mexican company startup called Kavak. And it's K-A-V-A-K. And it's basically like a Carvana. Okay, imagine a Carvana launching in mexico they called it they call this company a unicorn because there's no other company like it in mexico and it's reportedly the uh second i think most the second most highest growth startup in latin america or whatever so the president is telling me like we partner with this company because we want to innovate we want to be modern and that's another reason why we we rebranded we felt like it was time to get to look have a contemporary mark ahead of the 2026 World Cup. Now, yes, 2022, they debut, but that is what I take away from this trip is that Mexico is so laser focused on 2026, everything from the investments in facilities to the way they want to train uh, coaches, referees, play, develop players. Uh, and, and the facilities that I saw, like it is, it is a proper footballing country. That is what I, that is what I saw. The head, FMF headquarters are spectacular. It's it's a basically a, a model of FIFA headquarters in Zurich. Uh, and you know when we talk about trends, the FMF president John DeLuisa told me he's like I asked him like is did you consider the fact that you're rebranding in the middle of this new global trend 
in football of just going all out with rebrands? And he said, yes, that was a big factor for them. But he didn't bring up clubs. He brought up all the national teams that have rebranded lately. So Spain, Ecuador, Brazil, the Netherlands, South Korea. U.S. Japan. soccer has a newish crest. Right. He obviously didn't bring up U.S. soccer, but, uh, but, but yes, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's something that uh, clearly. He they, sees them in they, the mirror, doesn't he? <laughs> uh, I don't know. You know, when I came back, I was thinking about the mirror comment because I came back and I saw, like I said, I saw a country that is soccer mad, just absolute crazy with this sport. You know, there I think that's something to take away. My, my last anecdote is that when I went to the, yeah. the, the show of at the unveiling yeah. at Azteca, this, I mean, they went all out with a laser show. They had drones, uh, a choreographed sort of like dance routine, invite only, you know, the, the highest of society, the big high rollers, club presidents from all over Liga MX at this big cocktail dinner. Felipe is a very uh, important person. I, you guys. I was there rubbing shoulders with Televisa and Teleazteca. Wow. Executives. Let me pick they, up those names you're, you're dropping. They probably don't remember who I am, but um, <laughs> this is just a small, small anecdote. When I walked out of there and I was, I was blown away by the, the presentation. I was like, this is really cool that they did this just to unveil a new badge. But I remember I walked out and I saw just this crowd of reporters, cameras, literally just madness around one individual. I was like, who could this be? And it was Nikox's sporting director. Just He was just there. And they just cornered this guy and started asking him about his roster and who they're going to sign. And is Nico Castillo, the Chilean uh, striker from a club America. Like, and I was like, oh, you would never see this in the U.S. You just wouldn't see that sort of attention. Maybe for the uh, NFL. Yes, I'm at Maybe US for soccer, ML- Yeah, yeah, not for, not for, for MLS. Or, for the NFL, yeah. for sure. And, and I've seen it at Falcons game when Arthur Blank is rocking around. He's always surrounded by cameras. But but that's the thing. I think you, you, the the neighbors to the north, you know, they they really care about being a top side. John DeLuisa told me that his goal is for Mexico by 2026 to be a top eight nation globally and for the federation to be considered that. So they have big plans and I think they're they're pushing through. It's interesting because when I look at Mexico, I, I agree with you, you know, in terms of culture and history with the game, few, very few countries compare, very few, like some in Europe, Brazil and Argentina, South America, but Mexico has hosted two World Cups. Like that's not a thing that that really anyone else can say. Germany's done that. Um, probably a few other countries that I'm forgetting off of the top of my head. But yeah, I mean, it's it's wild. And to me, Felipe... Why aren't they better now? Like, like I don't know. It's a big country. There are a decent amount of resources there. The passion for the game is unbelievable, right? The culture, the history, it's all there. And yet, they've they're mostly a relatively average to above average World Cup team, right? Where they're you know quinto partido, right? Like they can't get past the fourth game. Like, and, and <laughs> I don't know why they're not better. But that's on them. I feel like what other countries, so many countries went that get to the World Cup just want to get out of the group. Um, and I think they are realizing that perhaps they need a little bit more humility, but they they don't want it. They, they shoot us. They just shoot that away and say, no, we well, need I get to it continue because pushing. If I was, you know, born and bred in Mexico, right, I would look around and I'd look to the U.S. and I would say, OK, maybe they have some nicer things than we do. but from a soccer perspective, but we have plenty of nice things from a soccer perspective. We have the people, right? We have the history again, like this sport, we should be better at this. So I get why they're, they don't have the humility, yeah, right? In, in a sense, because they should be better. Like they absolutely should. And, and I don't really have an answer and I'm ignorant on this subject. So maybe I shouldn't even really be talking about it too much, but I don't really have an answer for why they're not, you know, they shouldn't be level with the U S or battling with the U S they should be better in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think that's something that they're gra- they're grappling with in Mexico is is the the evolution of the game in Concacaf, the the, the sort of the rise of Canada, uh, the, this new generation with the U.S. But something that Tata Martina told me while I was there, I spoke to him one on one as well on Monday. And he brought up the U.S. and and their generation of players, and he said that you know why that happened. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially he was like. Getting not making the 2018 World Cup allowed this to happen for the U.S. 
it gave them this up. This was this is Tata Martino. It gave him it gave them that opportunity to blow it up and play with the players that they have. He was like Mexico right now. You know, doesn't have that sort of catastrophic moment, but that you know we have a pipeline. There's a there are young players. Our current core, yes, he's he he will admit they're an older group, uh, but he is obviously a coach that uh, places a lot of value on experience. But he's not afraid, I don't think, of uh, of playing these younger players. This camp that's right now, that their December camp is all young Liga MX players, and, the and they're is, playing. Think they're a playing lot of Chile them, in Austin. Playing Chile in Austin, Next Texas, yeah, yeah, on December eighth, and so. Uh, they're looking at the U.S. too. I mean, they can talk about they can talk. I mean, talk how could they not? Know. Given the last yeah, year, they, yeah. they are clearly looking at what the U.S. is doing. And the pundits, like I said, when I watch talk shows in, in in Mexico, they look at the U.S. like, why don't we do what they're doing as far as the national team? Why don't we take risks and play an 18 year old and play a 19 year old? <laughs> well, the U.S. is doing it because there aren't 26 year olds, <laughs> right? Perhaps exactly. <laughs> so, like generationally. Uh, Mexico's in a different spot. They're in a different place. Uh, and they, and this is the, this is the sort of the, the last opportunity, this world cup coming up for this current group to show that, you know, yes, we are, we're the strongest generation. That's what they were meant to be. They have to prove it. Yeah. Well, what a battle it's going to be, man, in 2026 between the U S and Mexico and Canada. Can't forget them kind of lurking around the corner, uh, for regional supremacy with the eyes of the world on all three countries. Um, I'm getting excited just kind of putting it in into that frame right now. That, that's, the fact that every, so many people were talking to me about 2026, like I was fired up too. I was like, wow, like this is going to be so intense. It's going to be epic for North America. Yeah. Like, and Mexico right now today is already gearing up for it, gearing up to be the the example. They know the U.S. is getting more games, and the U.S. is the U.S. But they are not going to just sit idly and say. You know, we're not the big, you know, the big boys in CONCACAF. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be cool. It's going to be really cool to see like this, this, this evolution, this, this roadmap towards 2026 and, and how they can be. And you know this, Sam, you know, I, I've never been to soccer house in Chicago. Uh, a lot of people were dunking on it while I was in Mexico. Uh, <laughs> soccer house for those who do not know. <laughs> and for those, who, let me describe it a little bit. Uh, it is in the South Loop of Chicago. It is in a beautiful like legitimately like beautiful old mansion in the South Loop in Chicago. Like I think it's over a hundred years old. It's a great looking place. It's, it's like cool. Like you go by it and you're like, Oh, that's cool. And then you go inside and you're like, this is a, this shouldn't be an office building. <laughs> right. I heard, I heard they, they filmed horror mil- films there. Is that true? I, I don't know that, me. but I mean, that wouldn't shock me. Like it's an old mansion. It looks a little spooky. It's like brick and stuff, you know? So yeah, it's, it's cool. It's not like modern or advanced and it's not like very practical for an office. And there've been rumblings for years now that us soccer would get a proper facility at some point. Um, but they're still in soccer house. And I, I don't know. I think it's kind of charming, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I think at the end of the day, a federation's office doesn't really matter so much. <laughs> um, but but so Mexico can dunk all they want. Um, the U.S. has won three games in a row on the men's side. Uh, three pretty big ones at that. So I think I think only one country has bragging rights at this particular moment in time. So on Twitter, and I was sort of telling the story hey i'm in mexico and showing pictures and here are the facilities and all that like i someone asked me a u.s fan like do we have that like do we have a, a training center and a facility and well they, they you know, there is a training center in kansas city that u.s soccer helped build that is top of the line you know they train in at the galaxy's place quite a bit that's where they're going to be for this camp that's starting here on monday that the roster is now announced for that you're listening to it we don't know it yet um so yeah, they they train a lot, and there are a lot of good training facilities in the U.S. You know, that's part of the reason they pick, they've been picking these places that they have for World Cup qualifiers, right? Austin, fantastic training facilities. Cincinnati, the same. Columbus, the same. Um, Nashville isn't quite there yet. They trained at a college, but um, there are some fantastic facilities around MLS at this point. So we have it in that way, but U.S. soccer doesn't really have a centralized one for themselves. There is, there are U.S. soccer fields though in L.A. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the last thing I'll say, I, when I, I remember when I got to the facility we were entering, we had to take COVID tests. It'd been a while since I took like a serious COVID test. This was like, wow, that was pretty painful. But, um, <laughs> Do we, you, we you went sneeze? To, 
I wanted to. I always sneeze after. Yeah. Like I lean my head back. She's like, don't move your head. I was like, oh my goodness. But we had to take the (laughs) test. We got our negative test and we were allowed through the facility. And I remember I saw Tata Martino from far away, like walking around the facility on the phone. Uh, And the guy that gave us the tour at one time, you know, he mentions, oh, we have two hotels on campus. And we were like, wow, that's, that's awesome. Can we see these hotels? Like, what are they like? Are they like the Westin or is it sort of like dorms? He's like, no, like they're they're more like dormitories, but like we're renovating them. We're you know we're adding a lot of new features in there. Uh, I'm sorry we can't take you there right now because we're sort of in the middle of of, of some things. And we're like, okay. Well, it turns out that Efra Alvarez, Julian Adarujo, and like some other players were already on campus. Oh, and wow. I don't think they wanted us to know like some of the players that were there. Um, because they literally the, a couple hours after we left the facility, they started tweeting photos about the players that were training on on campus. That's funny. So that was funny <laughs> that they that they just didn't want us to see who was staying in their dorms. Can't get those scoops, Felipe. All right, real quick note on the U.S. national team. We've talked a lot about Mexico here. Uh, that roster is being announced. It's going to be primarily, not primarily. It's going to be all MLS guys, basically. And the beginning of camp for this Bosnia-Herzegovina game, it's not going to include any of the guys, of course, that are playing in the conference finals this weekend. And anyone that advances to MLS Cup will obviously have those responsibilities to deal with and they'll be prevented from playing in those games, but or in that game rather, which is on December 18th, if I remember correctly, down in Los Angeles. Um, no, not a ton of thoughts on that one. I think it's going to be mostly a group of guys that are more on the fringe with a with a few guys that are in the mix and Ricardo Pepe, for instance, I would expect to be there. Uh, perhaps Sebastian Lejet, Paul Ariola, Christian Roldan, guys that have been on World Cup qualifying rosters, Miles Robinson, guys that have been playing, um, and then a mix of guys who are more kind of younger. Maybe they'll grow into something. Maybe we'll see somebody like Kevin Paredes from DC United, who had a good year as a teenager. Maybe we'll see. Good player. Maybe we'll see a. Uh, why am I blanking on his name? The kid from Louisville that's moving to Sociedad, Jonathan uh, uh, Jonathan Gomez, I believe. Um, maybe we'll see him. Who knows? So we could see some guys kind of more on the fringe and more just let's take a look. Let's kick the tires. Let's see what we've got. Introduce them into camp, that sort of thing. Um, you know, don't hold your breath for massive things from this friendly match. But, hey, every data point is a data point, and we can draw a thing or two from that and maybe learn something. Um, so so yeah, I'll, I'll ask you a question about, I'll make it interesting. Like, you know, we're, we're a go year ahead. away. We're less yeah. than a year away from Qatar. We are. We are. So these we might be on a cruise ship in Qatar a year oh, from God. tonight. Yeah. The listeners don't know that, but they are, no, they're bringing cruise ships. That. They're bringing cruise ships. Maybe. No, we it's, don't it's out there. It's out there. It's okay. Out there. It's been right. We might be it's staying fun. on a cruise ship. Yeah. Not, there aren't a lot, enough hotel rooms in Qatar. Um, I'll make this one interesting, this U S roster. And I'll ask you, cause I know you and Paul have covered this extensively. Uh, but like we're all, we're less than a year away from Qatar, so at some point these camps aren't about like experimentation and bringing guys in that I want to look yeah. at. Yes, that's part of it. But like, what in your opinion, Sam? Like, where what are the position groups that are are sort of wide open or are maybe aren't three deep yet? And there are Striker. opportunities to strikers. To, to strikers the, to Qatar. The striker is the most wide open by far. I, I still think it's completely up for grabs. It could be, you know, we could have a guy that we haven't even really heard of yet be on the team next year, right? For like, think about Pepe at this point last year, right? Good MLS prospect, but no one would, no one would have been like, yeah, that's that's the starting U.S. striker in for the World Cup qualifier against Mexico, right? <laughs> um, I think we'll see Daryl DK at that camp for sure. Um, you know, I'm I'm interested in kind of the the fringe battles, right? Because Think about the wingers, right? Pulisic, Wea, Aronson, um, Gio Reyna, who recently returned to training, right? Those are four badasses, right? But are you going to take one more? And if so, who is that going to be? Is that Paul Areola? Is it Conrad De La Fuente? Can Jordan Morris work his way back into the mix, right? Center backs, that's another one that's, that's had a lot of turbulence, you know? Yeah. Like entering qualifying, oh, John Brooks, lockdown starter, maybe one of the most important players on the team, right? By the third qualifying camp, he's not even getting called in. <laughs> you know, Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman, guys that, you know, we didn't really think would be serious starters, are the starters, right? Um, so who do we see kind of, you know, continue to cement their place? Can Aaron Long 
who's coming off an injury, but was with the U.S. in Cincinnati, just kind of as, you know, integrate him. He wasn't really training fully or anything like that. He's still working his way back from an Achilles tear that he had early in the MLS season. Can he get himself back in the mix? Because he was starting before he got hurt, right? So that's another big question mark that I have. Um, I would say those are kind of the two biggest, striker and center back. Do you have something different? No, I, I agree. I, I especially think center back is really interesting because while while Miles Robinson's rise in, at the international level has been phenomenal, uh, you, you know the U.S. is going to take a, a center back grouping that that is going to be really, I mean, at, a, at World Cup level, inexperienced, like severely inexperienced. Everyone's you know? going to be inexperienced at uh, that level, you know. Yeah, and I was even thinking like how many how many of these players. Uh, on the current team, like have played at the Azteca, for instance. Um, Kellen Acosta, I, Christian Pulisic, I believe. Uh, I, DeAndre I, Yedlin, and that might be about it. I, I I have to check if Miles played Club America there. He may have. Uh, yeah, you um, probably have some guys on club yeah, teams. Yeah. Yeah. But my point is, is that like I think this friendly, while it's true, it's 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 sort of the fringe players and it's an MLS based yeah, group. It's part of the schedule. Like, yeah. I think it's interesting the opponent though, because you know Bosnia and Herzegovina, like that is a hard nosed, technical team. Well, they're not like, going to be able to bring their guys though. Still, still, like you're 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 bringing in like a different culture of soccer, like a tough nosed technical brand of soccer that is going to test these, these players for the U S you know, it's going to, it's going to, I think it's going to be an interesting test for Burhalter to see which kind of players can play in that type of game. Um, and you know, the, the talk when I was coming out of Mexico is even the strongest U S side today, the strongest team that they have, uh, the, what I had, the conversations I had while I was there was like, Yes, they've beaten Mexico three games in a row in these in the Gold Cup Nations League and a World Cup qualifier. How does this team really look if they're drawn against a top side in Qatar? A top side, you know, what what do they do? Are they dangerous? Yes, yes. But um, you know, they, they, there's a lot of maturing that has to happen. Yeah, they're they're below those top sides, just like Mexico. <laughs> Mexico, true, true. Yeah. Uh, but from a, I think in a different perspective, I think Mexico is going to put money on. Well, we have an experienced side, and 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 we have an experienced coach who's been here, who's taken the team to the quarterfinals already. Uh, that's literally what they're doing. The U.S. can't say that. Uh, and so these matches against yes, Bosnia isn't a top side. It will Pianic play? I don't know. If, no, if those Pianic guys are all going to be with but, their clubs, right? Yeah, Just like Pianic the top U.S. guys. Anymore. Pianic yeah. doesn't play. Um, still, I think that you mentioned the fringe battles are interesting because there, there are holes. I think left back is still, is still wide open. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, who knows if Serginio Dest ends up playing out there or not. Right. But anyway, we've gone on for a long time. The other big question I have, how many guys are going to be allowed to go to the world cup? We don't know that for sure. It's going to be 23. It's going to be 25. It's going to be 26. Is FIFA going to expand rosters? Who knows? Um, anyway, Felipe, thank you so much, my man. This has been fun. Um, appreciate anytime, you joining anytime. me and hopefully you guys enjoyed his presence. Hopefully mine was tolerable and his was enjoyable. And, uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week in some way, shape or form. I imagine that will be a pre an MLS cup preview edition of the podcast. Um, until then I'm Sam. He's Felipe. This has been allocation disorder.